Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Not only are we continuing our series on theological education and the importance of theological education, but we're also entering the multiverse of podcasts here at Southeastern for today's discussion on missions. There is sort of a crossover occurring today between Pastor Matters and The Scent Life. I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Anna Dobb and Keelan Cook, two dear friends and co-workers here at Southeastern. Dr. Anna Dobb serves as the Director of Special Projects and Partnerships for Global Theological Initiatives here at Southeastern. She's also a recent graduate of the PhD program here. And Keelan Cook serves as Instructor of Missiology and is the Associate Director of one of our sister centers here at Southeastern, the Center for Great Commission Studies. You are both part of Pastor Matters history because this is the first time we have had two guests for a single episode on this podcast. Well, that's exciting. So, and this is also the first time we've had hosts from another podcast on this podcast. So it's kind of a double dip of history. This is Southeastern podcast inception here, isn't it? it? It's blowing my mind. It's a podcast in the podcast. Yes, it is. And I I love your your, uh, description of it as the multiverse. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. It's totally, we're entering into the multiverse. So Mm -hmm. listeners, beware and prepare. So my first question is really like, what's your reaction to this? Like, you're making history. I feel like we should have like trophies and plaques for you guys. <laughs> I feel ill prepared for for this. Let's just say that. I think it's exciting. Uh, I love doing the Scent Life podcast, and I love um, I love what you guys do here at Pastor Matters, and so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, and I, I think one of the things that's really helpful about uh, just our conversation in general, we've got these three different centers. They're all doing podcasts, uh, but we all kind of rally around the idea of the Great Commission, right? And so there's do. some right. really significant points of contact, and it's helpful, I think, when we get to have some of these cross-pollination moments. Yeah, I like that. Well, thank you both for joining today's discussion on missions. We are so grateful for the work you do at the Center for Great Commission Studies here at Southeastern. As you know, Over the next few weeks, we are highlighting the importance of of theological training, and I can't think of many ways to express the importance of theological education than sharing our own journeys and how our training has helped equip us. So could you both just take a few minutes and briefly share a little bit about your journey and how theological education has helped shape you in your roles here at the school and for living uh, a life on mission? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go ahead and take a stab at that one. Uh, how has my theological journey shaped up? So I came to Southeastern to work on a PhD uh, from the mission field. So my story, I had uh, got my master's degree actually at a different school. Uh, my master's degree is at, at, from Union University, in fact, and I was a college minister there in the area in Tennessee after I had got out of school and was heavily involved in the work that our church was doing uh, missionally. Uh, I was at a very missions-minded church as a college pastor, and I had worked to send a number of students to be journeymen and do some of those type activities along the way. Well, our church was in a particular situation with a mission strategy uh, overseas involved with some IMB missionaries on the field, and a very particular request came up for somebody that had some graduate-level theological training already. 
And uh, I was the person from our church that really fit the bill. And so I went, uh, landed overseas as an IMB missionary, spent my time there. While I was there, the realization landed on me that what would be very beneficial for me if I was planning on being here long term, and that was the plan at the time, was uh, additional theological training and education, and particularly hermeneutics. How do I take our understanding of biblical interpretation and use that in a cross-cultural setting? So I came back to Southeastern full well intending to, to pursue a PhD in hermeneutics and biblical studies. And so mm-hmm. I started down that path and was doing that. As I was doing that, though, the Lord seemed to have some other plans for me. I started working in the Center for Great Commission Studies. And my work centered around the conversation of diaspora here in the States. And I absolutely fell in love with that particular uh, piece of the mission that our churches find ourselves in right now. How are we going to deal with cross-cultural stuff now? And uh, so I switched tracks and Mm. started doing a PhD in missions to start dealing with some of that stuff. And that's what got me into that space. I spent a while out in Houston. In fact, I just got back to the seminary in this role. And I spent a while out in Houston practicing what I was learning in my PhD, uh, helping churches think through developing mission strategy, particularly around this issue of diaspora and cross-cultural engagement locally in the States. And then when some transitions happened here at the seminary, they asked me to come back and train students and sounded like an exciting pursuit. So here we are. Mm. Keelan, I love that you're back. Uh, for those people who don't haven't listened to The Scent Life, can you tell us a little bit about what diaspora is? Yeah, great. Um, so that's right. That's a common word we throw around on The Scent Life a lot, but perhaps not so much on this podcast. The, the idea of diaspora, to define that real quickly for you, is really simply put, it's people who live somewhere they weren't born is about the easiest way to talk about that. So refugees, immigrants, international students, they all fall into that category. Uh, The word diaspora is a Bible word. Um, It's really, I think in the Greek, it's this idea of scattering seed. It's to spread seed. And so people who have been cast out from the area that they lived become that group's diaspora. And we have a great many of those in the States now. And our churches have a responsibility to figure out how we're going to engage faithfully in the Great Commission with those groups of people. Sure. The nations have come to us. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Mm. So I grew up in a home that loved missions. I'm really grateful for that. I had I had a mom who just loved thinking about God's mission. She was a director in WMU. Um, we had missionaries in our in our house a lot. And at some point, I decided, I think I want to try this thing. <laughs> and so I went overseas And while I was there, I thought, man, I'm going to plant my life here and I'm going to do this. But I also recognize I I need some theological education. There's things that that I thought I was maybe equipped for because I was really like excited about being on God's mission. But then when I got out there and I'm having to actually wrestle through contextualization and how do we talk about God's word in a context that has no uh, prior knowledge of God's word. And I started to realize I I may need a little bit of education to help me get back on the field. Um, And at that point, my goal was I'm going to get like 20 or 30 hours and I'm going to go back overseas. Um, And so I went to a sister seminary, Southwestern, and with the full intention of I'm not even going to finish a degree. I'm going to I'm going to jump in and I'm going to uh, head back overseas. But as uh, Keelan just said, God sometimes has other plans for us. (laughs) And so I. Uh, I had a a professor at Southwestern who uh, was very intentional of kind of seeking me out and saying, I think you need to I think you need to consider theological education. and I think you need to consider a Ph.D. 
And in my head, there was not like a category for why I would need that. And Mm. so I was like, nah, no thanks. Um, (laughs) But as I continued through my master's degree, I started to see uh, the possibilities that I might have if I were to continue that. And I started to actually feel God kind of calling me in that direction. Right. Um, And so I decided to go ahead and get an MDiv. So I went from like 20 hours to I'm going to do the full MDiv thing. Um, and then when I got done with an MDiv, I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to I'm going to go on the field and then I will uh, I will I will come back someday and maybe do a PhD. But again, the Lord kind of opened the door for me to step into a PhD. And I came here, started working for Global Theological Initiatives and um, just fell in love with the role that theological education has in equipping the global church. Mm -hmm. And so whenever they, whenever I was getting close to graduation, they asked if I would be interested in staying in that, in as this director of special projects and partnerships. And I said, man, I would love to, uh, it was hard, kind of bittersweet for me sometimes because I, uh, would love to be back on the field, but I, uh, I had many conversations with my boss and, he said something that stuck with me. He said, if you can raise up a generation of people who love the global church, isn't it worth it? Mm. And I think it is. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so let's say we have somebody that's that's listening to this who has a desire to serve on the mission field. Would you say that theological training is necessary for them to do that? Why, why or why not? That's a great question. Um, I don't I don't know that I would say it's necessary. I would say it's wise. Prudent. Yeah, I think that's right. The way that we use the word necessary, I think we have to, to clarify some of that. Is it is it some kind of requirement? Am I failing at my task if I don't have it? The answer to that is probably no. Um, I, I think scripture doesn't tell us you need an MDiv to be able to, to do fill in the blank. Um, that said, if we turn the conversation toward one of prudence, I think that we would say it's it's a really significant piece of your training and right. equipping to be able to do this work well. And if I if I want to be as successful as possible at this task that God has put in front of me, if I want to be as faithful as possible, then a major plank in building your foundation upon which to do it, I think is a good theological education. Yeah. I agree with that. And I, uh, I I often have conversations with people who are returning journeymen. Um, I work I work with a lot of the returning journeymen here on campus. Uh, which for those of you who on this podcast don't know what that means, journeymen are, are people who go out for two years under the age of 30, I think. Um, and, and they just kind of do an apprenticeship while they're on uh, on the field working with other missionaries there. Um, and a lot of those people come back and they say, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. Mm. And um, I've had that conversation a million times. And so I think, yes, you can go without theological training, I think when you're in that position, you start to realize how much you don't know. Mm. Um, and I think that's when people come back and they say, I want to I learn more. Mm. Yeah, really helpful. to add to that, because uh, that's exactly right, and that was, that was a big piece of my experience. I had, I had a graduate theo- theological degree when I went, and my experience on the field demonstrated how, how many cracks I had in my own equipping and understanding. But coming back to seminary, I think there's this assumption by a lot of people that a seminary degree will puff you up with knowledge. And my statement to that is, if you leave your seminary degree more arrogant than you came into it, you did it wrong. 100%. And yeah. there's a level where I'm inclined to say that person that says, I don't need a theological education to go to the field is the one with the hubris. That person that says, I should probably get more equipping. Yeah. 
in order to make sure I'm prepared to meet the diversity of issues I'm going to run into there, that person to me is the one with the level of humility. Yeah. And just as long as you can keep your bearing on that, I think it's important. Yeah. yeah. Sabrina and I, uh, I, at one point, kind of wrestled through this in my own life. I had a friend who was overseas and had a family member die. As far as I know, that family member did not know Jesus. And I really wrestled with why am I here getting a theological education degree when I could be there actually Mm -hmm. like sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. And I I wrestled through this. I actually wrote a little bit about it. Um, And I I think there are some reasons that we could maybe uh, think about theological education and why it's important for us to maybe stay and get theological education, even when it feels kind of boring and um, repeti- repetitious and I get tired of studying and I'm, <laughs> right, <laughs> I think right, it's hard yeah. for some missionaries because they're like, I just want to be over there. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of came to the conclusion there's three reasons that we need to think about staying w- in this time. Number one is obedience. I, again, I don't think it's necessary in the way that we just talked about it, but I do think that God sometimes calls us to theological education. He calls us to a great task that requires some semblance of training and preparation. Right. And I, I jokingly said in one of, one of my writings about this, you know, the, the, the big analogy that people talk about is, you know, God asks for your blank check. Are you willing to put it on the table? And I said, what if, what if instead of asking for a million dollars, he asks for five thirty six, five dollars and 36 cents. Hmm. And, and he asks for the repetitive, hard life of working two part-time jobs and going to seminary. Am I willing to be obedient when he asks that question? as opposed to, am I willing to be obedient when he asks me to go to wherever across the sea? Um, Now, I say you're obviously doing the theological education because you want to get over there. So don't ever forget that. Um, But I do think it's important to recognize there is an obedience in what we do here in theological education. This is a conversation we were having with Dr. Lawless where he said he wouldn't want people to come here without an urgency to go to the nations at the same time. You don't want someone here that's just speeding through it, that's actually not letting any formation actually take place. 100%. And with how accessible theological education is now, as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, really, there are a lot of ways to do this in a timely manner that is accessible to wherever you are, whether it's here in the States or even abroad. Yep. I have students in my classes who are currently serving somewhere. So they're they're, they're out there doing this, but they're also saying, hey, I, I recognize there's a need for theological education, and they're doing both, which I think is great. Yeah, yeah those tend to be some of the neatest students, in fact. They really are, yeah. They're in a moment where they, they go, man, this class is so helpful for me right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the stuff I'm running into, like, yeah. you don't have to convince them of the need yeah. for finishing out their, their theological education because they realize they're in the trenches. Yeah, going, they, they're in the residency program. Yeah, that's exactly. right. That's yep. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Yep. Yeah, so let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to sh- just shift a little bit from talking about theological education and just talk about pastors and how they can help their people in this area. So what are some unique ways pastors can help shape their people where they're thinking more about missions, where they're giving more to missions, and where they are perhaps being sent out on the mission field? So in other words, how can pastors spread that great commission bug in their churches? Can I just kind of throw out some statistics that I think kind of help us orient this conversation. You know I love statistics. I know you do. Yep. So a recent Barna study found that 46% of all Christians surveyed and 42% of practicing Christians surveyed believed that, quote, missions is a mandate for all Christians. So hear that. 
46%, almost or less than half right. of the Christian surveyed and 42% of practicing Christians um, believe that missions is a mandate for all Christians, um, as opposed to, I think it's like eight, yeah, 85% of pastors who believe that same mandate. So we've got some kind of disconnect that's happening, right? And and also to kind of situate this, the conversation, there was a past Barna study, I think it was either 2018 or 2019, uh, where they found that just under 50% of millennial Christians actually believe that sharing their faith with others is wrong. So I think you need to we need to recognize the the context is shifting around us. Yeah. And as we're thinking about uh, unique ways that pastors can help shape their people, I think number one, you just got to recognize the world's changing. Yeah. Well, you can't you can't assume that your people just have this love for the nations. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, yeah. I'll never forget being a teenager working at a Christian bookstore. It was really one of the first moments where I was just kind of taken back. You know, we were doing this this uh, this giveaway where customers could basically donate Bibles to East Asia in the language. And now, again, just a disclaimer, I'm not like guilting people for, you know, who choose not to donate, you know, the five dollars or whatever. You know, being someone who worked in the bookstore, it kind of got annoying asking everybody every time. But for this particular one, you know, because we were always doing these 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 things, this particular one, like I really actually enjoyed Like We had a copy of the Bible. It's just really cool. And I'll never forget, there was this old older couple that came in, uh, and I had got done ringing them up and and asked the question, "Would you like to donate this Bible, you know, to to East Asia?" And the woman was was reaching down in her pocket to get the money out, and her husband grabbed her hand, stopped her, and said, "We're not donating Bibles to those people." And I'll never forget just feeling in that moment a sense of confusion, a sense of rage. And that really, that really had a a, a massive impact on me. I'm sure. sure seeing did. that, yeah, seeing that. So you cannot assume that the people in your church just just have this this love, this willingness to basically fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah. You can't yeah. assume it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Man, that's that's jarring, isn't it? It is. Uh, so answering this question, Brandon. That was my job for the last five years out in Houston. Uh, so what I, what I did out there, I worked for our Baptist Association Network of Churches there in the Houston area, and I was a mission strategist. And so how do you help churches do exactly what you're asking here? Right? How do you shape their thinking about missions? How do you get them to be more concerned about giving to missions, to being involved in missions? How do we uh, raise up people from our church to do that kind of work, right? So Anna, to your point, we can't assume they already think it's it's a thing that we're supposed to be doing. Yep. Uh, that's more true now than it's ever been. Uh, but I think there is, so you, you pointed to the disconnect of that Barna statistic that's kind of landed here lately. Um, like twice as many pastors think it it's true uh, as church members. I'm kind of sad that only 85% of pastors think that right. everybody's sure. required right. to be involved right. in missions, right? But point being, like we can't make that assumption. Second though, so once we've turned a corner on, I don't need to assume that, what are some positive steps that you can take forward? Um, well, so on the Sitting Life, we actually did a, a whole episode on this. You guys could go back and find it if you wanted to hear hear, us, hear Scott and I unpack it a little more. But there's two things that I'd throw out there real quick. One, we work towards what we celebrate. That's just kind of an easy way to, to say that. Like if, if you as a church, the things that you value most, you celebrate most, whether you realize you do that or not. And so That's if true. we do in fact believe that the Great Commission 
uh, and being involved and engaged in this mission that Christ has, has commissioned us with is the center of what we're doing, then it should be the thing we celebrate the most, right? right. So audit your services, audit your uh, programs, your activities, audit all that you're doing as a church and say, where are the ways that we are celebrating missions? And if there aren't any, where am I going to stick them in there? So that's that's thing one. Thing two that I'd suggest is consider that there's more than one level of messaging at your church. Uh, now, here's what I mean by this. Most churches have at least kind of three levels that we actually send out messages on. Um, most pastors tend to only think of what I would refer to as like the macro level. Mm. That's your pulpit. It's your website. It's that major broadcast messaging. And I know a number of guys that have been pastors for a handful of years, and they – they feel like they're banging their head against, hey, I preach on this every week, and things just don't seem to be be moving in this direction. And the realization is they've never considered the fact that there's at least two other lanes of messages in their church. And if those lanes are saying something different than that macro lane says, you're actually sending out mixed messages. It's mm, a great point. And so you've got uh, a middle level of messaging and a micro level is the way I tend to, to talk to pastors about it. Your micro level is interpersonal. It's the stuff that happens in the foyer around coffee. Uh, it's what happens when people go to lunch. Families go to lunch together after the sermon and critique you. That's your uh, that's your micro level, right? But there's this middle level that we often tend to forget, and it may be the most significant for creating culture change in a church around something. Uh, most churches have a small grouping of people. It's community groups, it's small groups, or if you're more traditional churches, your Sunday school classes. And if you're preaching week after week after week about why missions is important. But you've got some fella in a Sunday school class that's been at this church for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and he's sitting in there week after week after week telling people why they don't need to listen to you about that. You know, we've tried to reach this neighborhood, and these people don't like us, and if they wanted Jesus, they'd just come in here and find him. Mm. That's going to undercut and erode your message week after week after week. And they're listening to him before they hear your sermon, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we've got to think through the messages we're actually sending out. And there's a good chance your church might be sending mixed signals yeah, to its, it's congregation. Possible. Yeah. Yeah, one of the the ways that I've I have suggested to people um, about mi- about hitting that mix that middle part, uh, I would love to see churches think about how to put missions in those small group gatherings. Mm. Um, I think that is a piece that we sometimes think, well, this is for fellowship or this is for accountability or whatever. Um, but what what would it look like for you to put a five minute missions conversation in that growth mm-hmm. group or uh, small group or whatever it is that you Sunday school, whatever it is that you call the, those groups? Um, and I, I think that would kind of reorient if you had week after week after week where you're hearing it from the pulpit and you're hearing it from your small group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that changes hearts. It reinforces instead of erodes. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Listeners are probably going to get a little nauseated with me saying this every week, but I will continue to say it. We here at Southeastern are referred to as the Great Commission Seminary. The the signs that line the roads and the sidewalks that say every Great Commission classroom, every classroom is a Great Commission classroom. That doesn't make us a Great Commission institution. No, that's right. The massive go that we have basically on the building that we're in right now, that doesn't make us a Great Commission right. Seminary. Yeah. The marketing that we do, none of that does it. Yeah. What What makes us a Great Commission institution is that Every faculty member, every person in leadership, every student, every alumni is 100% sold out in fulfilling the Great Commission. That is what does it. And so for pastors, don't let the website that you say, we're a Great Commission church, be the thing that makes you a Great Commission church. Help equip your people to think through 
to give to. And there's so many ways to do this. I mean, you both have mentioned some really good ones. I love the idea of having missionaries visit small groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the idea of having uh, your your people read through missionary biographies, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and I love the idea of having cards where you're praying for people. Not not it, it no longer becomes this. You know, we're we're just praying for for missionaries all around the world. No, we're actually praying for this family that that left our church that is spending time in this country, or we're we're praying for so and so's brother or sister. Like we're putting faces to the people that we're praying for, and we're learning about the unreached people groups that are all across mm-hmm. the nation. Like. It has to go beyond just the the superficial we're great commission. You have to live it and you got to get your people to live it. To give you a couple more like practical things that you can add to right. this conversation. I, I do think that the, the church as a whole needs to understand the centrality of the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't just be I've tacked on missions as like this side department that's yeah. kind of forgotten about. It's really got to be central. Um, and, and to do that, I actually challenge people. You got to go back and you got to say, why do we do missions and evangelism and how do we do them with boldness? And I, um, I, hopefully one day we'll be able to, to uh, well, I actually just did this at the Cultivate Conference. I talked about the reasons we can go with boldness. And I think that's, um, I would challenge your churches to think through what does the Bible say about why we're doing this mission and how we can do it with boldness and then talk about it in your church. Um, but also I think we've got to mobilize our members. Um, and, I, and I know we talk about that all the time, but there are so many opportunities to mobilize your members, no matter where you where you are. I know that I know that not everyone listening to this podcast is in a like super ma- major city that's got a bunch of um, people from all over the nations. But there's all these ways you can do that. You can find a missions project at home. Uh, you can send short term missionaries on like short term mission trips. Uh, if your church is too small to send your own folks, I really encourage you to look at your association or your your state convention, or if you guys have a, a, a local WMU chapter, uh, many of them are doing collaborative mission trips. And so getting plugged into one of those, sending some of your members, I think would be really helpful. Uh, also, I don't know that everybody knows this, but the IMB actually has short-term mission trips um, that you can actually apply through the IMB to go on a short-term mission trip. And they've mm-hmm. just revamped kind of the way they do that. And it's really helpful and really easy. If you want more information about that, you can go to imb.org backslash trips. Mm-hmm. Um, super easy. Look at the requirements um, and 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 send your people, man. <laughs> yeah. I know that that, especially in, in like post-COVID world, is kind of weird uh, as people are thinking about what, what when do I send someone, when do I not? Um let people at the IMB walk walk with you through that conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I think I think getting people to see the the lostness and to see the nations is is really important here. Mm, that's really good. So Keelan, let's say someone comes up to their pastor and says, "Pastor, I feel called to missions." What should that pastor's immediate response be? And what are some ways he could come alongside that person to just encourage, to challenge them, and to equip them? Yeah, so look straight at them and say, are you crazy? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. That's that's not the response. To be clear, let's shy away from that one. Um, yeah, so the immediate response should be celebrate with this person. Like, let's let's start there. Um, I, I tend to be a doer, and so I'm going to want to jump to like, okay, here's, here's your five steps that you need to follow. <laughs> but like, let's take a moment to congratulate this person that they're thinking about this in the first place. Right. Um, part of what we're doing in shepherding people as pastors and leadership roles is trying to help them think through and discern how is it that the Lord used me as a part of the Great Commission. And, and, and here's a person that has stepped out and said, maybe it's this. 
So let's celebrate that moment. Let's yes. start there. Uh, past that, though, uh, when I work churches through trying to develop an understanding of being ascending church in general. So let me start a little high level here, and then I'll drop down to what does that look like with an individual person. So we have a really, what I would consider, anemic definition of ascending church uh, that has really infiltrated the way we talk about this issue. Uh, a friend of mine talks, uh, he uses this word verbicide, and I think we've done that with the idea. We've, <laughs> we've killed the word sending because it's so thin in the way we use it now. We did right. the same thing with the word missional before, right? There's kind of True. two ways that you can become a word that everybody now is supposed to be. I can either change my practices to become what that word said that we should be as a church, or I can stretch out the definition of the word and slap it around whatever we're already doing. Well, we seem to have done that at this point, right? So if we want to reclaim this idea in a church, so if you want to treat this person well, have a healthy understanding of what it means to send, there are four pieces of that, I think. Every church needs to think through these four pieces. One is identification. We need to identify people from within side of our church. Let me bold and underscore that idea. Mm. Because most often we work in what I'd call a recruitment paradigm on this one. Our church should be sending people. So I'm going to call the, sen- uh, the seminary, the state convention. I'm going to call some other organization uh, and see if I can find somebody out there that I can quote unquote send. Right. So it's really at best just supporting um, so let's identify and assess people within inside of our church. Second, we need to equip them for the task that they're called to do. That's the role of it's a, a very Ephesians thing for us to say, isn't it, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, we're we're uh, called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Then I actually send them. It sounds silly to have to put that one in there, but this thing very often spirals into the quote-unquote leadership development conversation. I'm not opposed to leadership development. Before somebody sends me an angry email. But if we're not careful... <laughs> We think scaling out our own church's capacity mm. is our end goal in equipping. Right. It is not. Send your best. Get rid. Release Amen. them. Release them for ministry, man. So I need to find a real way to actually catapult this person out there. And then finally, don't let go of the rope. Mm. I need to continue to support this person. Right. Right. So we identify and assess within, within, we adequately equip them for the task, we send them, and then we support those people in some form of ongoing partnership that we have with them. Now, how do I do it with this person? Well, they've already identified themselves. They outed themselves. But assessment is a key component here, uh, depending on the pathway that they want to go down. So if this is international missions we're talking, uh, I mean, we're Southern Baptist. The IMB's actually got a great process to help start assessing somebody and what kind of equipping they're going to need along the way. So lean into some of those tools and start identifying with this person. Are you, in fact, called to do this? Mm. And here are the, the competencies that you may need along the way. And let's start working on some of those. What are some of the obstacles that you may have? Uh, are you shackled with debt? That tends to be a big thing that keeps people off the mission field, actually. Mm. Uh, so are there some just very human components that we need to start removing? So there's an assessment piece here. But then we need to lean into ways that we would we would equip this person. Do you as a church, if you're a pastor who's going to answer this question, have a way that you'd equip these people? Mm-hmm. What is it? Outline that. Uh, and then find ways to connect them to real opportunities overseas. Again, for us Southern Baptists, we cooperatively work together to have the IMB. Mm-hmm. And it serves that function for us. Right. And so the IMB is a phone call away from your church. You should know the people there as a pastor. Yeah. So that when this question happens, you can make the right connections. And yeah. I love the idea of just the pastoral care, knowing that this person's going to a place they're not familiar with, you know, that are going to be, in many cases, isolated from what they know 
the community that they've had for so long. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be times when they mean to lean on you and you need to be there as a pastor to care for their souls. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah. Anna, do you feel the church does a good job of equipping women in the local church for the mission field? Uh, and if not, how can the church help better help women uh, for the mission field? And I'm even just thinking even specifically like single women. Sure. Uh, I think that's a great question. And my answer is going to be super ambiguous. I think it depends. Um, I think some churches do a phenomenal job of this. And I think others do not. I Now, let me back up and say, I am a huge proponent of send your amazing single women to the field. Mm. Um, I It gives them this great opportunity to be a, a part of God's mission. Um, and I, I believe in the work that single women can do on the mission field. Uh, we've seen couple centuries of what women, single women can do on mission field. And it's been really encouraging. Some of, um, I I spend a lot of time actually with single women here at Southeastern who are preparing to go overseas and just kind of walking with them, equipping them, getting to know them um, and helping them kind of think through what does this look like as I go overseas? Um, Now back to your question. I don't want to, don't want to derail too much, but (laughs) (laughs) back to your question. uh, I think there's kind of Two things that I would rec- or two categories of people that I would recommend uh, kind of beefing up if you're if you're somebody who says I really struggle with how to equip or prepare single women for the mission field or women in general. Um, first is directed towards the pastor or the leadership in your church. Um, surprisingly, most of what I'm about to say sounds exactly like what Keelan just said. <laughs> so, <laughs> so recognize that. Um, yeah, it's, it goes both ways. Uh, confirm and celebrate her calling. Yeah. Um, I think this is so important when we think about sing- sending single women. Um, just to say, I see that you're interested in this. I see the the the, the potential calling as well, and I want to celebrate that with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so important for single women to hear their leadership say, "Yes, we see this in you, and yes, we want to encourage you to walk this path." Mm-hmm. Um, second, I would say, pray for her and with her. Um, so I'm talking to the leaders of the church right now. So commit to pray for her as she goes through this process, but also take time to pray with her. You are demonstrating and modeling what a prayer life needs to look like mm, for these women. Good. That's good. That's um, good. And I think when you do that, when you when you do that as they're on this side of the field, when they get to the field, they, number one, know that you're praying for them because they've seen you do it. Right. And number two, they have been it's been modeled to them how to pray. Mm-hmm. And so they are they, they can pick up that mantle and, and, and pray well on the mission field. Um, also, I would say just like. Keelan just talked about intentionally equip her. I think sometimes we have uh, really good, robust programs for men who want to be pastors, and we don't really have a good program for women who want to be missionaries um, or women who, who feel called to any kind of uh, work in the church. Obviously not pastor. Um, <laughs> we're, compliment, we're complimentarian. <laughs> cards on the table. <laughs> yep, cards on the table. Um, <laughs> Back to those angry emails, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, but take time to intentionally equip her. You have no idea what that would mean to your women in your church. If you said, I see this, um, this, this, this gift in you, I see this calling in you and I want to equip you so that you are the best you can be when we Mm. send you out. Um, and then, uh, I would, I would also say connect her with older women in the church who will commit to pray for her while she prepares and goes. Some of the best prayer warriors in our churches are the older generation of women. Mm. Um, and so connect those people 
uh, so that they she can have kind of a, an army of people behind her praying and leading the way. Um, and then I, the second group of people I want to talk to are the women in the church. Um, so I, I've talked about leaders. Now I want to talk about just the, the lay women in the church. How do you help someone prepare for the mission field? Um, again, pray for her and with her. I think that's so important. Uh, number two, this is going to sound really strange, but research her place of service. Uh, it means so much to a woman for you to understand the city she's going to, the the religion she's going to work among, um, for her to be able to have some of those conversations with somebody who's actively shown an interest in her place of service is like gold. Right. Um, also, offer to teach her basic skills. I know this sounds very strange, but when you get overseas, there's a lot of things that you didn't have to do in America that you have to do overseas. So, for example, um, when I served overseas, I could not cook meat in my apartment. And so I had to... Uh, that was, I worked among um, people who didn't eat meat. And so uh, I had to figure out how to cook things from scratch without any meat in it. Wow. And so <laughs> I'm learning as I go. And it would, and I think about all these women who have these great like homemade recipes that they could, they could be helping these women by sending, here's these recipes that I have that are fantastic. Um, or there's some places where, where women have to go and they, have to drive um, an, a, a non-automatic car. And so, and so they're having to drive and, and they've never learned how to drive that kind of car before. Wow. And so, you know, some of these older women who, who grew up on those kinds of cars, teach them how to drive. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, also I would say ask intentional questions. Uh, it, is, it is important for you, uh, for the women of your church to develop a really deep relationship uh, with these women before they go. Um, because that way you have the foundation of a relationship when there's issues and not if, when there's issues, uh, they have people they know, love and care for them back home and have already asked the intentional questions right. so they can a continue asking the intentional questions and maybe help them walk through these things. Um, and then finally, I would say, especially for singles, uh, give space for conversations about singleness. Yeah. Um, I think that Every single woman is different. So some people want to talk about singleness. Some people don't want to talk about singleness. Um, and I would just really encourage you, give space for that conversation if they want to have it. Mm. Don't force it on them, but give space for it. It's a, it's tough, I think, for a lot of singles. Not, not all of them. Again, I don't want to categorize all of them with a broad brush. But there are a lot of single women who really do str struggle with this idea of I'm going to go overseas by myself. Yeah. So, I, are, you, are you? I'm done. You're laying yeah. on the plane here. I'm laying okay. on the plane because ex excellent advice, by the way. I think that's profound. Um, I'm going to throw in a bit of unsolicited. Uh, you didn't ask about this, Brandon, so this one's for free. Um, <laughs> if you as a church become serious about trying to find people, raise up people from within your own congregation to go be international missionaries, you're going to see a phenomenon very likely play out. The majority of people. Mm. that identify themselves are going to be females. Yes. True. Right. The number of people, so the biggest missing demographic in our international missions force is single men. Mm. By a mile, that is our biggest missing demographic. It's true. So when I was on the seas, I was a single, single guy. I went as a single guy. And uh, in the area where I served, there were 52 missionaries on the field with the IMB uh, that were singles. Two were male. 
Sounds about right. Let that one float for a minute. Yep. <laughs> Two were male. Um, we have got some work to do in the church. Right. Um, to one, celebrate our single ladies that really want to go do this task. Uh, yep. There are many, many places where they can faithfully serve the Lord overseas in cross-cultural missions with great effectiveness. We, in fact, have a rather large Christmas offering named after one. True. Mm. Right. Right. For those of you who didn't know, Lottie <laughs> was a single missionary. Um, shocker. Shocker, right? However, we as pastors and leaders in our churches here need to create a culture where we're saying challenging our young men. Mm-hmm. Right. The no, nations are out there and we're called to go. And so that's my motivational moment, pastors. You need to find a way if you're wanting to get serious about creating a culture on this one to particularly challenge your men to step up and get out there and go. Right. So you both have been missionaries. I'd be curious just to hear maybe a few of your your heroes, your missionary heroes. Who are the the ones that have inspired you, that have encouraged you, that have challenged you over the years? Yeah, we don't have enough time to do that. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll give all you, of the above, right? Yeah, I'll give you the flyover here as best I can. So there's the usual suspects, right? Like you've got uh, if if you don't read missionary biographies. Whether you want to be a missionary or not, read them. They'll bless your soul. They'll challenge you mm-hmm. to consider how you live out the mission of the, uh, that Christ has given you. How, are, how am I part of what my church is doing? Like, they'll just encourage you and challenge you. So read missionary biographies. And there's some great ones out there. Um, Judson's is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I was reading one by Patton the other day. Uh, it was his autobiography. And my gosh, it just hit me square in the face about how he, as a little kid, developed uh, calling to the nations because his because of the way his father prayed in their family worship time. Oh, man, it was phenomenal. So, like, there's just some real stuff there. But I'm going to turn a corner here. My missionary heroes aren't people that I read about in books. They are uh, a, a returned missionary that wound up being my discipleship pastor. Mm. And getting to, to spend, I have no idea how many hundred meals around their dinner table as I was coming out of college and the formation that occurred from having elbow-to-elbow relationship with him. And then when I landed overseas, my missionary supervisor is my missionary hero. He faithfully labored among a Muslim people for 20 years without seeing really a a significant amount of fruit. And yet, uh, by the time I get there, in the zero-to-one context, we're starting to see the Spirit of God move. He labored for years uh, in faithfulness to do that and was just a model of what it means to be all, like to give your whole life and your family to the Great Commission. Uh, And so I'm going to suggest if you want missionary heroes, meet some missionaries. Mm. Amen. That's good. good. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, So to add to the conversation, as cliche as it is, I like Paul. Um, he did something. <laughs> I know that's a- just, no <laughs> doubt. You literally just brought the trump card. Up. No, 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 no. I <laughs> I didn't mean to. Um, I just like Paul because he did something that literally no one had done before, mm-hmm. and I cannot imagine how challenging that is. Um, and then I I tend to like you know as as Keelan was talking about those those big hitters. You've got the William Carey's and the uh, Adoniram Judsons and the Hudson Taylors. I think those are all great stories to know. And then I like to think about the women who most of us don't know about, um, mm. like Charlotte Atley White Rowell. Um, most people have no idea who she is. She was actually America's first appointed female wow. missionary. Wow. Um, or Betsy Stockton, who was probably one of the first um, American single missionaries who was sent out, uh, who was actually a former slave. Um, 
or the the Ann Judsons, who's one of the mm-hmm. first American um, females who sit out not appointed because she at that point, if you were married, your husband went as the missionary and you just were kind of the the the, the helper of the missionary. Um, or the or the Mary Webbs of the world. Mary Webb is one of the women who probably started the the women's missionary movement in the fact that she yeah. gathered women on, in in America and said, "What can it? What can? What would life look like if we uh, if we if we started to combine our 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 strength and our prayers and our money for God's mission? Um, not that we're going, but that we're we're, we're sending and we're supporting." Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to think those women are, are worth knowing. Yeah. Um, and shameless plug here, we're actually uh, doing a season on, or a, a series in The Scent Life. I was just on, about to yeah. say, in, in, in the crossover here, <laughs> in the multiverse, yep. this multiverse of podcasts, yep. there is actually a segment that you do where I do. you highlight missionaries and give a brief kind of biography of what they've done, yes. how they serve the Lord. Yes, yes and I'm actually doing some of these women because I think they need to be known. Right, exactly. Um, and then to kind of land the plane on my missionary heroes, I'm very similar to Keelan in the fact that I there are there are missionary heroes that none of you will know their names right. um, because they have mm-hmm. they have served faithfully. I think of a little old lady uh, who was in my church. I grew up with her always sitting on the second row of church, and I found out that she was a missionary to Eastern Europe during World War II. Mm. Um, she literally, she and her family like walked out of uh, an area and had to like cross the Alps. I mean, like you think about the end of The Sound of Music, that was her life. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and, All right. Um, and then she was faithful to be a part of God's mission in small town Texas mm. um, for the rest of her life. Mm. Think of her story. Um, I think of, again, one of the people that was very influential in my life was a woman on the field. Uh, she encouraged me while I was there. She made sure I learned the language while I was there. Um, and then when I came back, she has been my number one supporter right. as I did theological That's education. Um, so I think there's all kinds of heroes out there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like we were saying earlier, it's just so important to help your people see these people existed, mm-hmm. whether it's someone you're reading in a biography or whether it's someone you're bringing into your church that served on the field for, for a number of years to let your people interact with the writings or just the stories of these of these missionaries. One of the little quick interesting things, my son uh, is a first grader, and he has been reading as part of his school assignments. He actually has a project he's working on uh, where he's reading missionary biographies, Excellent. and he's That's asking questions. Yeah. So I would say pastors, believers, just in general, like let your kids read these stories. Let them interact with them. Let them ask questions and, and help them understand what's going on here and how it plays a part in uh, the bigger picture, so for sure. Let me tag on to that for just a second. Um, I think it's really cool. We've seen a shift happening where I think there are a lot of resources for kids um, that are that are like fun books that yeah, are published. Right, right. Um, and so I I actually went to a baby shower the other day and gave a book about Betsy Stockton to like their baby shower. That's, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's fun. And then we've got a whole like young adult series that I know some people are working on. Yeah. And so like there are resources available. You just gotta you just gotta find them. Right. That's super helpful. So last question here. Again, we're going to tie all of this together, just thinking about theological education and how it plays in missions. Kind of a two-parter here. How has Southeastern equipped you to fulfill the mission? And now both of you are in roles here that that equip students. So how is our school now, how is our school now helping you to equip this next generation uh, of church leaders and missionaries? Yeah. So, man, that's a big one. Uh, Southeastern has, like, 
I don't even know all the ways Southeastern has equipped me to fulfill this mission, by the way. Like, let me count the ways here, right? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, I will say this. Probably at the very kernel of it was giving me some – so like I said, I came here with a, a graduate theological degree already, but – the concept, this idea that we're so crazy about around here that the Great Commission stands at the center of all that we do, right? It gave me a reordering paradigm through which to consider all of the theological categories, the doctrine that I'd learned, the, the way that I've learned biblical studies and the languages and all of it. It, it gave me a, a reordering paradigm through which I start to look at all of those subjects, not as disconnected subjects. Right. But as part of something that I think is greater than theological education, uh, excuse me for saying that as somebody who's you know on faculty <laughs> of seminary, right? But I think there's a step out there further, more important than us just giving theological education. It's ministry preparation. Mm, sure. And right. I think Southeastern does a wonderful job. This is why I wanted to come back here to work at helping students reorient and reorder the idea of theological education is actually just a step on the way toward ministry preparation and this understanding that we do this for a reason and these things all fill into that hole. So that's kind of, that's the thing for me. And I've got that from professors. I've got that from being mentored and developing friendships and relationships here. I've also got the, the content of my classes. Mm. They're, they're oriented and geared that way. And, uh, and it's, been, it's been profound. For It's been life-changing for me. And it's the kind of thing that I want to be a part of, right? So sure. if you want to flip to like how we're doing that now, um, that's a big piece of my job in the center is thinking through what does it look like for us to to help students be equipped to, to do this work, right? So if you're a listener of this podcast or any of our podcasts, if you're an alumni of the school, if you've just seen us on Twitter, right? Like the drumbeat that is our mission statement, our school exists to serve the local church by by equipping students to, to serve the local church and to fulfill the Great Commission. These are the two things that we're equipping students to do, right? Serve the local church, fulfill the Great Commission. Um, that, I think, is a mission worth living for. Mm. I absolutely love that that's what we're about right. here. And in the center of Great Commission studies, what we're getting to do, that we have this super fun task of operationalizing the question that Dr. Aiken is so quick to say all the time. The question is not why should I go? The question is why should I stay? Mm. And so it's our job to stand in front of all of our students and say, have you actually asked yourself that question seriously? Now, really, now really, really, have you done it? Yeah. That's our job. And that I mean, that's a fun, that's a fun chair to sit in. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. So my story is a little bit different just because of uh, the, the job that I, that I hold is, is faces in a different direction. Right. Right. Um, so I work in the office of global theological initiatives. Uh, m I assume most people don't know what that is. Cause I jokingly say it's the best kept secret at Southeastern. <laughs> it's the coolest stuff we're doing as a school. Let me just throw that out. There. It is. Uh, but we actually are kind of the international partnership arm of the seminary. We partner with schools around the world to help them think through biblically faithful, contextually appropriate theological education in their context. We recognize that the, um, the Great Commission is not going to be fulfilled by Americans alone. And so we want to help strengthen the global church mm. um, to be part of God's mission. Uh, these are our brothers and sisters around the world. And what Southeastern has done, both in my classes and in, uh, in my job, is given me a, a, a vision and a passion for what it would look like for us to equip the global church. Mm. Um, and, and 
my sorrow sometimes is that I feel like people don't recognize that the global churches is, is a thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I actually, truth. I actually tell people right now when everything feels kind of off kelter and, and, and hopeless sometimes the global church is what we should point to and say, look, look, look how hopeful the world is right now. Yeah. Um, because the, the great commission. So Jesus turns to his disciples, he gives this great commission and he says, go to, uh, go to the ends of the earth. I'll be with you. Um, make disciples of all nations, you know, all, all the things we talk about all the time. Um, and then they, they did it. Like, that's what I think is so beautiful. They, they, they did it. So they went from this group of disciples in uh, Jerusalem, uh, and then they went to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, which we see kind of this beginning of that in Acts. Um, and then we get to look at 2,000 years of missions history and see that it continued. Yeah, right. And they, they took the gospel into places all around the world. They sowed seeds broadly. Uh, the, those seeds took root. There was, there, were, there was fruit that came from those seeds. And now these disciples have gathered into churches and they're far enough to have conventions and seminaries. That should give us a lot of hope as we mm. think about our task. Uh, God has already been faithful yeah. and gone with people as they took his commission across the world. And he's going to be faithful as we do it as well. Mm. That's, so, that's hype music right man. there. Man. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that every single day now <laughs> good, good. as I start I my hope day. It, I really do hope it gives you hope because that's what I've seen is this picture of the beautiful global church that, uh, that, that is there and, and is excited about taking God's commission and, and, do, and running with it themselves. Mm. Um, I think that's beautiful. And one of the things that I want to do, going to, to land the plane on the question, one of the things that I want to do is I want every student at Southeastern to know and love the global church. Mm. Um, so I want them to know and love the mission, uh, which I think we have lots of people doing. And I also want them to know and love the global church because that is the future of missions. We are, mm. we are going to be working with the global church to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm. That's so good. Well, that'll do it. I want to thank both of you for being a part of today's discussion. If you're interested in learning more about missions and evangelism, check out the resources at the Center for Great Commission Studies. They have plenty of resources, including a podcast, as we've already mentioned, mm -hmm. called The Scent Life. So if you're not subscribed to that, do that today. Also, if you're interested in starting or furthering your theological education, consider Southeastern. We have several degree programs focusing on evangelism and missions. Uh, come study with our fantastic missions faculty, which includes Drs. Scott Hildreth, John Ewart, Chuck Lawless, George Robinson, and so many others. Find out more about what Southeastern offers by visiting sebts.edu. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. 